Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank Pro Nola segment on a Friday, as we do each and every Friday this morning. The Great Ross joins me, Jackson Nola on Twitter, now the co-managing editor of the Canal Street Chronicles website, SB Nation blog that covers the Saints, host of Locked On Saints. You hear him on podcasts, you hear him on radio hits, you read his stuff online, and uh, you're going to hear him this morning right now on a Friday. I know he's got a busy schedule today. Thanks for making time for us, Ross. Good morning. What's up? Hey, really good morning. Always a pleasure to be here with you. So uh, it's June, and yet Saints fans are just craving content, looking for it everywhere. Um, you know, I, I when I get to the summertime, Ross – you know, you have kind of important dates. June 1st is one. We'll explain why in a moment. And then when they get to training camp and then if someone's extended. But I end up, like, interviewing former players or doing a lot of sort of evergreen conversations maybe. Now, this this summer's a little different because the NBA playoffs are going to go into July. But, you know, top five this or that or most underrated Saints ever. You know, like, what what is your go-to for content this time of year? Because – um Judging from uh, your radio hit schedule, you're pretty busy. People are craving the content. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, for me, with, with Locked on Saints in particular, it's always about what the listener wants to hear, you know? And so I'm always asking questions about, hey, what are some of the storylines that you want to hear about? What are some of the things you want to dive into? And then, you know, thankfully, I, I have uh, at least a knowledge around the New Orleans Saints, not just talk about what's going on right now, but to be able to talk back throughout the history of the team as well and maybe tell somebody a story or something like that, that they haven't heard before like yesterday the usfl was announced that it was coming back in 2022 and the usl was a humongous building block for the new orleans saints back in the 1980s for what was essentially the original golden age where they went from being a team without a winning record since their you know um incorporation in 1967 to seven straight years of no no losing seasons going to the playoffs in a few of those years five winning seasons during that time and so uh, you know just being able to talk a little bit more about maybe some of the additional context throughout Saints history but other than that you know breaking down players looking ahead to the 2021 season kind of looking at the different training camp battles that are setting up. The thing about the New Orleans Saints is that they're always interesting, and I'm always grateful for that. Yeah, they, they definitely give us plenty of content. And uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. I think I think it was yesterday, it would have been Sam Mills' 62nd birthday. You talk about the USFL, right. his impact there, and then coming with Mora and joining the Saints. Uh, one, you know, one of the best players not in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, and I need to um, – you know, I need to mail you a New Orleans Breakers shirt just so you can rock an old USFL New Orleans shirt. Everybody be like, what is that? I would, Who are the Breakers? Love it. I would love it. It's funny because, you know, they brought in uh, Buford Jordan from the uh, New Orleans Breakers. And the Breakers, of course, moved to Portland a couple of years into uh, the USFL. But, you know, even the New Orleans Saints were able to tap into some New Orleans Breakers love. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were several players that came in from the uh, – USFL to work with New Orleans. In fact, half of the Dome Patrol, right? Because not just Sam Mills, who Jim Mora called the best player he's ever coached, but also, uh, you know, Von Johnson came in over there same year that Pat Swilling was drafted out of college. And, you know, the formation of the Dome Patrol really started 
with the 1986 influx of USFL players. And, of course, Bobby Hebert, who went on to be a starting quarterback for them and was the quarterback for the Saints winning season, uh, came from the USFL as well. He actually went against Jim Mora twice in the USFL championships. Uh, lost the, I mean, won the first time, lost the second time. But Jim Mora was familiar with him, but not because he was playing for him, but because they met so often in the championship uh, round. In, in uh, Buford Jordan, you referenced him a minute ago. Um, he's from Iota, which isn't too far from here, and he's still in great shape, and, and, and I've interviewed him before. But, man, you know, talking about Jim Moore rants, which I know you did with my friends over the Saints Happy Hour <laughs> podcast, like there, there's so many great ones, but when he called in to the show on, like, the, the open access channel in New Orleans when Buford Jordan was on mm-hmm. with – I, I, well, I don't think it was Roe Brown. I don't remember who the host was. Anyway, I should go back and watch it on YouTube. It's been a while. But that's Jim Mora, just like sitting there watching it, right. calls in, and they're not there. You could tell immediately they're like, oh, God, what's he going to say? You know? And then he like builds them up. It's almost like he almost has like a, a, a wrestling sense about him. I'm like, let me build you up. Let me build you up. Right. And now I'm just going to just insult you right here with a jab. It makes me want to puke. Like, I remember, I remember listening to like a coach's show. Uh, in like 2000 something when Haslett was the coach and more just calls like as a caller, like let's go to Jim on line three. And he's like, Hey guys, how you doing? And Haslett immediately knew it was him, but the host didn't. And he didn't, he didn't insult him. He was nice to him, but I'm like, there's just, God bless Jim Moore. Like there's, that's just not something coaches would do. And yet, you know, by the way, he looks great for 86. I, 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 I got to give him that much, but his, Jim Mora is a treasure, man. Like, you talk about evergreen content. He's just, even whenever he's, you know, leaves this world, God bless him, he's, we're going to have Jim Mora content forever. Oh, yeah. No, he'll, he'll forever be appreciated uh, for, for, his, for his personality and who he is and his accessibility, too. Like, I wonder how he would have fit into, I think he would have navigated the Twitter age well as, a, as a, an NFL head coach. Yeah, I think that he would have navigated that very well because he would have been accessible to the uh, to to the fan base. He would have been somebody that would have created shareable content and everything. You know, the New Orleans Saints as a whole have a really good social media presence in terms of their their video team and everybody. I mean, they do such a great job with social media. Them and, and the Pelicans, they, they share a social media team for you know some overlap there, but. You know, you look at the quarterback competitions and all those things that the team does during training camp, and you have to imagine that, you know, if Jim Mora was coaching in this era, that that would be some thousand percent find a way to, you know, make sure that he was involved in and had some had some fun along with the team. ESPN1420.com, Ross Jackson, our guest. Yeah, anytime I say something that the listeners or, or when I have a co-host just doesn't agree with, they love to play this Jim Mora clip. Who said that? Scott. <laughs> Tell Scott he's full of so it's a it's a good go to. He has a very good uh, presence on this show. Ross Jackson, our guest. All right, Ross. Let's uh, let's talk about the current Saints team for a moment. They're uh, what? Uh, I don't I don't know the exact number um, that they're uh, under the cap, but it's not two point five million. They need to be roughly two point five million in order to sign their rookies. There are a number of ways they can do it, but explain to our listeners how they could possibly do it and how you think they inevitably will do it. Yeah. So they still have a couple of options. Um, and, and, you know, so at this point they're let's just say around $350,000 under the salary cap at the moment, it's, it's, it's thereabouts. Uh, but you know, if they want to be able to sign their rookies, there are a couple of options here. The, 
most immediate and sort of easiest way that doesn't require a bit of a two-way street in negotiation is that now that we're beyond June 1st, if the Saints were to make the decision to move on from Latavius Murray, which is a decision that they can make, though it's not one I think they will, it would save them about $3.1 million just from moving on from Latavius. I think Latavius Murray has been a, an absolute um, uh, goldmine for them since they signed him, particularly you know, if you consider how much he makes to be a part of this team. He had 12 third-down runs last year, and he converted first downs on 11 of those. So he has been somebody that's been nearly automatic for them in third and short situations. They trust very well as a pass blocker, as well as somebody that has developed as a uh, a pass catcher out of the backfield. He was targeted 42 times last year uh, in the passing game. And so I think that he does enough of everything, and he's been very solid for this team and you know has stood in and had 100-yard games with Alvin Kamara out. For, for the team as well. So I don't think that it makes sense to move on from Latavius Murray, but if things get to desperation mode, that could be an option for them. Uh, the other, and, and I think more sensible options, and the ones that they seem to be a little bit more focused on right now, are extensions of young stars like Marcus Williams and Ryan Ramchek in particular. There's already been an, a ton of conversation around the idea that the Saints are interested in extending Ryan Ramchek. You can look back to March and Ian Rappaport over on Total Access, who mentioned him uh, as somebody that the Saints were looking and hoping to extend along with Marshawn Lattimore. Now, since then, Marshawn Lattimore's had the off-season arrest, so I don't know how much of uh, you know how much in a rush they or, for that matter, Marshawn's agent is even into the idea of him getting an extension because if he gets suspended at the beginning of the season, it could mess with any of the guaranteed money that comes into that newly negotiated contract. So probably not the best situation for him to be extended at this moment. But another guy to look at would be Marcus Williams, who's currently on a franchise tag, and they have until July 15th to get him extended. Otherwise, he'll have to play through 2021 on that tag. So he and Ryan Ramchick seem to be the two places where the Saints could extend could lock down a couple of you know stars for their future and a couple of core players that they worked really hard to retain this offseason, particularly in um, particularly in Marcus Williams, and also create themselves some salary cap space here in the immediate future. Ross Jackson, our guest at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. I'm Scott Prather at ESPN fourteen twenty. Where um, where do you think Cesar Ruiz will line up this year? Are they going to move him to guard, center? Is he going to remain at guard? I thought his rookie year was. Kind of a mixed bag. Some games he was outstanding. Others he, he looked very much out of sorts. Yeah, and, you know, he had better games late in the season, although they weren't consistent, uh, but still a good sign to see him progress forward there because I'm starting to think that he is going to remain at, at, excuse me, that he is going to remain at right guard over the course of the 2021 season. And I've only recently begun to feel that way based on Zach Streif's comments, actually, um, during the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame golf outing that they had. Uh, you know, Zach Streif has now returned to the team in the capacity of assistant offensive line coach, which I think is just such a great thing for the New Orleans Saints and for Zach Streif, of course. But he ends up you know, mentioning that it's going to be very hard to beat Eric McCoy out of that spot at the, you know, as the anchor for the offensive line. And, and it makes sense. I mean, he's been an outstanding center for this team who has, you know, gone down the line of very good centers, Brian De La Puente. They of course had Max Unger for years and they moved to Eric McCoy. They've been very fortunate at that position to go from solid player to solid player and need really to upset that. If that's where the team feels like the future of the position is, is with Eric McCoy. 
no need to swap up two positions as opposed to just working on getting one position um, kind of up to speed. I mean, remember that Eric McCoy, excuse me, uh, Cesar Ruiz came in and the idea was to have him play center, but then there was really no, no training camp last year. They got about three weeks of, of, of off-season work in terms of training camp, and half of that time he spent injured. And then the half of the other half of time, right, a quarter of the time he spent at center and the other quarter of the time he spent at right guard. So if they just focus him at right guard where he now has a full season of work invested, I think that you'll see him improve there. And if that happens, that would probably be the best case scenario for New Orleans going into 2021 with the offensive line. A lot of various questions. I was talking earlier this week with my friend Ralph about the tight end spot. And there's a, there's a lot of hype around Adam Troutman. Um, he's also going to be in his second year out of Dayton, and he caught 15 right. passes last year. And, you know, he's not playing with Josh Hill and Jared Cook. You know, it's different when you're number three there and um, in, in right. terms of your role and what you do. I know that cornerback, linebacker, uh, these were big positions of need that I think a lot of fans and pundits still look at as, at, as positions of need for this team. Is is tight end kind of like a sneaky one that that's being, and I guess in my opinion, I feel like it's being overlooked. It's I I don't know you know I don't know much about Nick Vanette and things like that. I just know you lose Cook, who I know fans had a, um, uh, let's say questionable relationship with, but he caught a lot of yeah, touchdowns. But- <laughs> and Josh Hill, who did so many little things. I, I I got I got I got concerns about that spot, and I I hope Troutman works out, Ross. But I just hadn't seen enough to 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 get in. I guess I don't understand all the hype right now around him. I think it's more hope than hype. But yet a lot of the fans are, it, you know, it seems like more hype than hope. Just they just like are penciling him in to be this fantasy star. Yeah, I mean, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, this is a position that's that's vastly unproven to this point because you don't really have. First of all, you don't have a single tight end on that roster that has taken, you know, a, a considerable amount of snaps for this team and in this system playing in a tight end one role because you're you have a roster full of of tight ends that haven't that didn't play for the team last year or you have Adam Troutman who played a different role, mainly a blocking role and then he developed a little bit as a receiver as the season went on but not enough for you to say Oh yeah, that's going to be the next guy. Now, can can Adam Troutman be that guy? Absolutely. I mean, he had 916 receiving yards in college. He had 14 receiving touchdowns in his final season. And yes, it was at Dayton. But hey, you know, you dominate against your competition. That's what you're supposed to do. And so, I, I think that he has the tool set to do it for certain. There's no doubt about that. But is it fully developed at this time? That's the biggest question mark. We just simply don't know that yet. So, I do think that there's a lot of reason to warrant a little bit of, you know, question, you know, a little bit of questioning around the player and what he's going to be able to produce in 2021. There's not really a way to fully project that moving forward, considering that tight end along with maybe interior offensive line are the two positions that are hardest to transition to out of college into the pros because they're entirely different positions once you get to the NFL. And so with all of that in mind, I do think that it's worthy. It's worth being cautious around the tight end position and asking questions about, you know, is that a spot that they might still look to address this offseason should they create the salary cap space and have the ability to do so? I mean, you already see Juwan Johnson, right. former wide receiver, transitioning over to tight end. So clearly they're also looking at other options at the position to see how they can fill out the rest of that room. I mean, Johnson, he, he just was – he's too – 
you're going to be a 6'4", 231-pound receiver, you got to have, like, the speed to go with it. And I, mm-hmm. I never got that sense from him. Maybe just maybe he has straight line speed, but in terms of the necessary cuts and getting into the routes, it, it always seemed like a step slow. Um, now, at tight end, it just it feels different by nature. And I don't know if they're really deep at that position that they're considering switching him over, but it's worth taking a look. I mean, you know, if if he can – he's already big. Now he's he was too big for one spot. Now he probably needs to add a few LBs at this spot. Um, right. I don't know. I When I read it, I, I, I think players switching positions – doesn't happen often, especially well, especially the NFL level, rather. But um, but I I, I kind of it kind of made sense to me. I was like, yeah, that's that's not a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's another Dan Arnold move, right? It, it, it's essentially the exact same transition we saw Dan Arnold make, uh, but maybe Juwan Johnson a little bit, you know, uh, bigger in terms of his weight and has the ability to maybe add a little bit more to his frame, not as wiry as a guy like Dan Arnold. But, you know, look, I, I think that for Juwan Johnson, it's a smart decision, right? It gives it gets him out of a very crowded wide receiver room of players that are going to have some trouble potentially um, individualizing themselves or standing out from that crowd. And it gets him to a much smaller room and it gives it puts him in a position to where outside of Adam Trotman right now, there's not necessarily a proven pass catcher at the at the tight end position. And even Adam Trotman, you kind of wonder if he's proven at the pro football level yet right kind of as we're talking about like how much of this is has transitioned and translated for him to the pro level still remains to be seen and so i think that for Juwan johnson he ends up adding you know a little bit of an element of himself that individually helps him stand out amongst the rest of that tight end room that wouldn't help him over with the wide receiver room but what's going to be challenging for him is going to be the route then the route tree and how he's able to move you know, in short spaces, what is his ability to be able to cut, change direction, all of that at his size and be able to, you know, utilize any type of fluidity of mobility during, you know, in, in those sort of short area quickness type routes. And then also what is he going to be able to do in terms of improving his hands? Because this is somebody who is six foot four, 230 pounds playing at, who was previously playing at the wide receiver position, but in his final year in college, he only had a 33% contested catch rate. You would expect a guy that is of that size to be a little bit more off that chart. Ross Jackson, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. I'm Scott Prather. Michael Thomas coming off of a season where he played injured, some off season surgeries. Um, well, I mean, as soon as the Saints season ended, uh, very publicly, you know, let it be known he wouldn't have minded if those Russell Wilson rumors that feel like an eternity ago weren't that long ago, but feel a long time ago, but. Mm-hmm. You know, make public that he would be good with that. Um, hasn't been doing as much posting. You know, had a, a an Instagram picture where he was looks like he put on a you know some muscle mass. But um, what what is the considering you're going to have a new quarterback? He's coming off of a year that had headlines off the field, injuries on it. Obviously, he's a special player, highest paid guy on the team. What is the proper or let me not maybe not proper Ross. What is your expectations for Michael Thomas in 2021? I think Michael Thomas comes back in 2021 and takes the let the let the on field work speak for itself type of approach. Um, I think that he'll you know continue to be his personality, and he certainly shouldn't change that. He should still be outspoken. He should still be himself. But I do expect that he'll come into training camp in 2021 and 
put it out on the field, which I think will be really good for him. And honestly, will be very good for the New Orleans Saints, too, because he was such a missed factor last year, just in terms of the team's ability to generate yardage, the team's ability to convert on third down, the team's ability to do all these things that, you know, he's such a huge part of. And now all of a sudden, he ends up working with a new quarterback, or Jameis Winston, whomever ends up winning that quarterback spot. And maybe another level of his game ends up getting unlocked in terms of his ability to be able to produce in the deep, let's say, intermediate to deep area of the field uh, a bit more than than what he had been doing with Drew Brees over the course of the last couple of seasons. And that's, of course, no insult to Drew Brees. I mean, Drew Brees himself talked about like the things that he felt like he couldn't do last year at that same golf tournament that I referenced earlier. And so I, I think that, you know, that potentially opens up some opportunities for a guy like Michael Thomas to continue or maybe let me not say continue, but maybe get himself back into the conversation of being the best wide receiver in the NFL after coming off of a record, you know, reception season and then having that injury riddled season last year. I think that he'll look for his bounce back and I think probably the way that he'll go about it is gonna be by, you know, letting the on field resume speak for itself. You mentioned Taysom or Jameis. I know that Last year when Breeze got hurt, many were assuming, myself included, Jameis would start. A couple in the media said, eh, maybe not. Taysom did. We were surprised. Some said we shouldn't be. Feels like since the offseason started, uh, a lot of the belief from most of us is that Jameis will start. Um, are we making the same mistake twice? Could Taysom Hill come out and start a quarterback and Jameis just be on the bench week one? It, it very well could happen. I mean, it's going to come down to the to the performance of both of them. I think this is a legitimate quarterback competition. Like this is an actual quarterback competition. Nobody has been you know granted a head start at this point or anything like that outside of what they already have on their resume. And I do think that Jameis Winston has the better resume right now, despite the thirty interception season. He's got five years of starting quarterback experience versus Taysom Hill with four games of quarterback experience. But it doesn't mean that the Saints won't look at it the other way around and say, hey, there's still much more for us to see about Taysom Hill, who didn't have access to a generous portion of the playbook last year, right? Like they didn't run any two-minute drills, didn't run any type of hurry-up offense approach, things like that with Taysom Hill because he didn't have that part of the playbook yet. And so, you know, you expect to see him develop and part of his ability to win the quarterback position would be contingent upon his ability to be able to grasp that part of the playbook and contingency upon the opportunity for him to be able to share the ball to to all of the playmakers on this offense, Alvin Kamara included. I know that was a big criticism of Taysom Hill, but during the Philadelphia Eagles game, he targeted you know uh, Alvin Kamara eight times, um, excuse me, ten times in the passing game. And so I, I do think that you know that would be contingent upon him being able to win that quarterback position. The idea that he can spread the ball around and get it to their playmakers, but I do think that it's a legitimate quarterback. Uh, conversation, but I do think that Jameis Winston will also get his opportunity here to prove that he should be the guy. I mean, Sean Payton is true to his word, and what Sean Payton did, according to to himself, at um, you know, on a great podcast appearance that he made uh, a couple of months ago, he mentioned that the reason that they gave Taysom Hill the opportunity to season is because that was the agreement that they had put in place when Taysom Hill signed his contract before Jameis Winston ever even entered the picture was that, hey, if Drew Brees gets hurt during the season, then you're the guy. You're the guy that's going to go in and you're going to get your opportunity. And then when they missed him, according to Sean Payton, he knew he, Jameis showed up with the understanding that when 
Drew Brees moved on that Jameis would have his opportunity. So this is the time now for Jameis's opportunity. We saw Sean Payton stay true to his word with Taysom. He'll do the same thing for Jameis and make sure that both of them get a fair shot in their opportunities at becoming the starter week one. But we'll see who wins out on and off the field before the season rolls around. Who's going to start a cornerback opposite Marshawn Lattimore, if he's even starting week one, because he could be suspended? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, the most logical person to point to that's on the roster presently is probably Patrick Robinson. Yeah. And I know a lot of Saints fans maybe don't want to hear that, uh, but he's the most logical one, right? He's a veteran. He understands the playbook. He's been there. He did it last season, and he has played football in the last two years. Paulson Adebo, there's probably not a cornerback in the outside of the top two that I was higher on than Paulson Adebo, and I'm still very high on him. I think he'll be a very good cornerback in the NFL. I was very excited to see New Orleans make him their third-round selection, particularly trading up to get him, showing him that they really wanted him in New Orleans. But we have to see how he progresses during training camp before we can slap a starter tag on him. The guy hasn't played football since November of 2019, meaning that when the regular season starts in September of 2021, that's nearly two years removed. It's 22 months since the last time that he played full-speed on-field football at a competitive level. And I think that he's an extremely good player. He has great ball instincts, former wide receiver, great ball skills, um, disrupts passes, good understanding of, of, of the opposing receiver's moves and route tree and route combinations on the offensive side. He does a lot of things well. But you just have to wait and see about how he's going to be able to develop and transition all of that to the NFL level. We haven't been able to see that yet. So Patrick Robinson is probably the most logical starter at this time. But we'll see if Paulson and Debo can step up or if there's another cornerback that ends up joining the team. Ross Jackson has been our guest at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Last one for you, Ross. The, uh, the preseason schedule officially announced in terms of where and times. Um, Saints are going to be playing uh, – the Ravens on August 14th at 6 on the road. Then they're at home against Jacksonville on a Monday night at 7. Then against Arizona at uh, 7 o'clock five days later. It's the preseason. Only three games this year. I am one of those annoying individuals that complains about the preseason every year but still watches it partially because I'm curious, partially because it's it's my job. Uh, it just always feels like a tease. Like I can't – when everyone's like, oh, my God, football's back. I'm like, no, it's not. This is football practice. Right. It's just on TV. It's not real football. Um, and, and yet I try to, you know, latch on to a story of a player that would be cool if they made the team or, you know, kind of take a pulse of what the fans are into. But it's like – it's so – it's just – I don't know. It, it's one of those things that fans get so into every year and by like – literally like week two of the regular season, they don't remember any of it. Like no one remembers what the Saints did in the 09 preseason. Like no one remembers. You know, I say no one. Most people don't. You know, there's a big story. The the returner, right? Was it Rod Harper? Oh, man, he's. Mm-hmm. Let's, I hope he makes a team. Well, he did, and he didn't play a game, and he was on IR, and no one remembered because the Saints won a lot of games and won the Super Bowl. Like it's just right. it's that's the preseason to me. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. What, what's your approach – to the preseason as like an analyst and someone that covers the team. And and the follow-up question I'll just ask now, does it change a little just being that there's only three games this year instead of four? Yeah, so I mean the things that you're really looking at within the preseason are opportunities under the lights and in-game situations to settle positional battles. And for, I don't want to call them bottom-of-the-roster guys, but there's some truth to that statement. 
trying to fight their way into 53-man roster consideration or practice squad consideration. So those are really the things you're looking at. You're looking at places where there's conflict at the player, you know, who the, who the player is going to be, and then you're looking at, you know, um, second, third-string guys to see who's competing and showing you that they deserve to be there. And specifically keep an eye on special teams as well, particularly in coverage units, right? The, you know, gunners, the uh, players that are covering and trying to make tackles on kickoff returns and punt returns. Those are the other things that you're really looking at. And this year we get a puncher battle, which is going to be really interesting. Um, I love special teams. So this is kind of uh, an exciting year because there's a very important role to be filled at the gunner position with losing Justin Hardy over the offseason, potentially one of the bigger losses for the team because he was such a pivotal uh, reason that the Saints had only allowed, I think it was six punt return yards last year or yeah. something like that. It was something wild. Uh, and so, you know, you look at all of that and those are kind of the things uh, that you're watching through. And it is going to be a little bit different this season, not only with the three games, but the cut schedule is different too. After the first game, five players are cut. After the second game, another five players are cut. And then after the third game, you go from 80 to 53, and then you can bolster up the, uh, the, the practice squad with players that clear waivers from there. And so that'll be the other part that'll be interesting to see is how that gets handled. Who are the first five players cut? Are they players that were seen in the first preseason game but didn't have a good showing? Or do they end up being players that didn't get to get out on the field and therefore you know the Saints have to move on from to see what the criteria is that the first five players, five to ten players cut throughout the preseason meet. I'll be rooting for Deuce Wallace. I hope he uh, gets things done mm-hmm. on special teams. But, you know, the Saints, uh, it, for years, outside of Morstead, it didn't seem – I don't want to say maybe they didn't put an emphasis on special teams, but it just wasn't good. Like, there was a long stretch there mm-hmm. where it was bad. And over the last four years, it's been – it's been no more stead played hurt last year, so that might be one exception. But for the most part, the coverage, the emphasis they put on it with, you know, oh, JT Gray only played two preseason games. Oh, yeah, but guess what? His college coach, he's on this roster. What does this guy do? Amazing special teams. Justin Hardy, not with the team right. anymore, but got a good deal. Why special teams? When it comes to those last cuts and fans probably going to focus on who's going to be the last receiver, who's going to be the last corner, it's always – which one plays the best special teams? Like that's that's what the Saints yep. are going with here, and it's and it's paid off in in you know wins the last couple of years. That shift to let's spend a lot of time and, and a lot of energy and effort on that phase of the game. It's uh, it's proved to to be a big impact for them the last four years. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. And you know the Saints have loaded up, particularly in the undrafted free agent market, with players that can be. You know, potential special teamers. You mentioned Deuce Wallace. You can look at Wisconsin safety Eric Burrell, who was a star special teamer for Wisconsin before he became a starting safety. Uh, Lawrence Woods out of Truman College, who not a lot of people have heard of, but you know he was a you know conference special teams player of the week, special teams player of the year. Um, he was an outstanding gunner. Had four kickoff return touchdowns over the course of his time at Truman College. I mean, they have options at that position to be able to repopulate a guy like Justin Woodham, maybe grow another undrafted free agent star out of that. Remember, they turned uh, JT Gray, who you mentioned, as somebody that played two preseason games and was an undrafted free agent. They turned him into a second-team All-Pro with what he does at special teams. And, of course, he helped turn himself into that as well. I can't give just the New Orleans Saints credit for that, but they have an eye for it. And it's something that they emphasize as a full-on third phase of the game and not just a, a forgotten phase of the game. All right, Ross, we got to let you run, man. I've kept you long enough, but I really appreciate it. Guys, if you're not following him, go do it. He's got the blue check mark. 
at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Check out his podcast, Locked On Saints Podcast. He's part of the Locked On Network. He is the co-managing editor of Canal Street Chronicles, the Saints SB Nation blog. Check out his stuff there as well. Appreciate all the time, man, and uh, let's chat again in the future. Absolutely, Scott. Always a pleasure and always good to hear from you, man. Stay safe, and we'll chat again here soon. All right, brother. Have a good one.